Ezekiel chapter 34. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God. Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered, they wandered over the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become a prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts, since there was no shepherd and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths, that they may not be food for them. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself, will search for my sheep and will seek them out, as a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness, and I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land, and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the, uninhab- all the inhabited places of the country." I will feed them with good pasture, and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. As for you, my flock, says the Lord God, behold, I judge between sheep and sheep, between rams and male goats. It is not enough for you to feed on the good pasture that you must tread down with your feet the rest of your pasture, and to drink of clear water that you must muddy the rest of the water with your feet. And must my sheep Eat what you have trodden with your feet and drink what you have muddied with your feet. Therefore, thus says the Lord God to them, Behold, I, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep. Because you push with side and shoulder and thrust at the weak with your horns till you have scattered them abroad, I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey and I will judge between sheep and sheep. And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David 
shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. Amen. The New Testament reading comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 10, starting at verse 1. Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. And there was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? But others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? This is the word of the Lord. Our Father in heaven, help us to hear the voice of the Good Shepherd this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I wonder if you've ever been burned by a church leader. Ever experienced that? Ever been let down, hurt, treated badly? Perhaps you've met someone who has. It can be a deeply painful thing. Someone you looked up to, a leader who was supposed to guide you into truth, into life, and it turns out they were just out for themselves just using people, 
for their own advantage. The scandals vary, don't they? There's, there's the small things, the unkind words, the seeming too busy always to care, the, the abandoning people for a more lucrative or comfortable job when the going gets tough. Then there's the dramatic ones, embezzling the funds, telling lies to make their life easier, a sexual scandal. It's hard not to be cynical when you've been burned by a self-serving church leader. And of course, it's not just in churches that happens. Look around our political leadership at the moment. I mean, how confident are we that our leaders on either side of the Atlantic or either side of the Channel, either side of the border, how confident are we that they're looking beyond their own interests, that they're telling the truth? Business leaders aren't immune. So at the moment, we're seeing companies folding, shops closing, jobs lost, pensions shrinking. And yet, it seems like the executives are still paying fairly handsome paychecks to themselves. Maybe some here work for a boss where you feel like, actually, their interest is not the team, but themselves. Seeing so many bad examples, it's hard not to feel cynical about following the leader. But today, I have wonderful news. Wonderful, joyful, refreshing news. Because there's one leader in life, one leader in the world, who we can follow with total confidence that he's got our best interests at heart. And that's not just because he says so, but he's proven so. This isn't just going to be another party political broadcast. It's not just going to be a religious sales pitch. It's not just going to raise empty hopes for a new start. No, there's actual historical evidence. You see, Jesus Christ, against the backdrop of self-serving human leaders, Jesus Christ is a breath of fresh air. Wherever you look, religion, business, politics, the church... Jesus Christ is a breath of fresh air. We heard it in our reading, didn't we? He is the good shepherd. That is to say, he is a leader of complete and utter integrity. A leader who genuinely leads for the good of the sheep, even at huge cost to himself. In a self-serving world, he's a breath of fresh air. And actually, if you've been here over the last few weeks in John, kind of chapters 5 to 9, a breath of fresh air is exactly what we need. I mean, it's it's been a, a mire of conflict and controversy swirling around Jerusalem when Jesus is in town. Some of the responses to him have included things like accusations, insults, death threats, even attempted murder. In some ways, the most alarming, I found, was last week in chapter 9. In chapter 9, there's just this normal bloke who suddenly finds himself caught up in it all. Last week, we met a blind man whom Jesus healed. We're supposed to still be thinking about that. Verse 21 of our passage, we're given a reminder. Can a demon open the eyes of a blind? This passage just flows right on from chapter 9. There's no change of location in 10 verse 1. It's just the conversation carrying on which means chapter 10 is Jesus' commentary on what's just happened 
with the blind man. And let me tell you, against the bullying that he faced, the abuse of spiritual leadership that he faced, well, Jesus Christ shines all the brighter in a world that's polluted by self-interested leaders The good shepherd's a deep breath of fresh air. So let's get into our passage. You'll see on the back of the handout, we're going to have two points this morning. That's because Jesus uses two main images in this passage to describe his work. We're on page 896. If you closed your Bibles, it would help to have it open. The two images are this. Firstly, Jesus is the door. So look at verse 7. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. That's image one. And then secondly, verse 11, he's the good shepherd. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. So those are the next two kind of great I am sayings of John's gospel. And there are two points. Jesus is the door to abundant life. And Jesus is the good shepherd. And both times, he's going to contrast himself with the dodgy leaders we've just seen. Just before we dive into point one, let me tackle one thing that may be distracting some of you. I don't know if, as you read the passage, you you suddenly found the picture was getting a bit confusing. Do you find that? The story in verses one to five, it seems to be a story about a shepherd compared to robbers, And so people don't understand verse 6. When Jesus goes on to explain it, you might expect him to go straight for, I am the good shepherd. That would make a lot of sense. But instead, verse 7, he starts with, I am the door. That's a surprise. It was a surprise to me. I've been grappling with it all week. Not just how can someone be a door and a shepherd. I don't think that matters too much. It's not like a precise parable. But more, why is he talking about being a door at all? And I think it helps to see that the point about the door is based on verse 1 particularly. Have a look at verse 1, and then I'll read Jesus' explanation in verse 7. Verse 1, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. Then verse 7, the explanation, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he'll be saved and go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Do you see the connections between verse 1 and verse 7? Both times, truly, 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 truly. Both times, the door. Both times, thieves and robbers. You see, before we get to the good shepherd, Jesus has a crucial point to make about the religious robbers of chapter 9. And many like them before and since. Here's the point. Tune in for this bit. If Jesus is the door to eternal life, you don't even begin to qualify as a spiritual leader unless you enter through him. Just see that with me. Verse 9, Jesus says, I am the door. 
If anyone enters by me, he'll be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. But remember verse 1 said, thieves and robbers don't enter by the door. They sneak in the back. They find another way round, clamber over a wall, sidestep the door to get their teeth into the flock. Not true shepherds, says Jesus, because they don't enter the door. Let me read verses 1 and 2 again. See if you can see it for yourself. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. He who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. And Jesus says, I am the door. So, you can't be a shepherd unless you come to God through Jesus can't be a spiritual guide if you haven't found the way yourself. But of course, there are lots of religious leaders who refuse to come to Jesus to get to God. And Jesus says, they're not shepherds, they're thieves. I wonder if you can see the relevance to what's just happened in chapter 9. See, the majority of the leaders on the ground in Jerusalem, they are rejecting Jesus. They see him as a threat, a fraud, a danger. They're refusing to accept his teaching. So Jesus has made these huge kind of claims over recent chapters. I am the bread of life. Anyone who comes to eat of this bread will live forever. If you don't, you have no life in you. But they refused to come to him. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And again, there's a flip side. Unless you believe that I'm he, you'll die in your sins. But they refused. How dare this guy imply that we're in the dark, <laughs> that we need a light? How dare Jesus suggest that his words could set us free? You calling us slaves? They refused to enter the door. And that meant in chapter 9, rather than being guides, shepherds to the blind man, rather than helping him to find the truth, find life in Jesus, well, actually, they acted like thieves and robbers. They actually proved Jesus' point by attacking the sheep they should have been caring for, bullying him for their own ends. I realize if you weren't here, this, you may be trying to catch up. Let me just remind us of what an ugly episode chapter 9 really was. Um, this guy got healed of his blindness, and word gets out that he had been healed by Jesus, and so he's hauled in for an interrogation. That's 9 verse 13. They haul him in for an interrogation. He tells the Pharisees exactly what he's seen, what he's experienced, but they don't believe him. So then they drag in his parents. If you look at the top of our page, uh, chapter 9, verse 22, the top of our page, his parents are terrified. They're terrified because the leaders have already decided that anyone who says Jesus is the Messiah will be ejected from the synagogue. I mean, how's that for a kind of fair and unbiased investigation of the evidence. Okay, we're bringing you in as witnesses to tell us what's happened. But just so you know, if you don't tell us what we want you to say, you will be punished with social, religious, financial ostracism. 
the terrified parents refuse to get involved. They just dump it back on their son. So he's dragged in again. Look at verse 24 of chapter 9. How's this for an open, non-leading question in court? Verse 24. Give glory to God. We know this man, that's Jesus, is a sinner. The blind man can't actually comment on that. But when he refuses to bend the facts that he does know to fit the conclusion they want to hear, well, they get increasingly aggressive to him, even abusive. Verse 28, they reviled him. Look at verse 32. The blind man's just stating the obvious. He says this, Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man was not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. The blind man was just telling the truth about what had happened to him. He's just a bod, just a sheep. He draws the obvious conclusion, but but so determined are they to stick to their predetermined conclusion. I guess not least because their status depends on it. Well, they attack him and cast him out. Jesus says, those who don't, who won't come through the door, are robbers. The way Jesus describes their activity is pretty strong, actually. Have a look at chapter 10, verse 10. He says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy Whereas Jesus came that we might have life and have it abundantly. I mean, that sounds quite strong, doesn't it? Kill, kill, steal, destroy. But actually, if you're cutting people off from the one door to eternal life, if you're trying to persuade people to deny Jesus, to disbelieve in him, you really are trying to steal God's sheep, thief you are effectively encouraging people towards death and destruction. I wonder if we can see the seriousness then, the the horror, actually, of what goes on when religious leaders deny that Jesus Christ is the one door to eternal life. Don't get me wrong, they're found in the church as well as religions around the world. They could be found in this pulpit one day. If I lose my way, it could be me. I wonder if we realize the seriousness when pushing people away from the Lord Jesus, the one with the words of eternal life. Well, that is to lead on the side of death and destruction. Jesus came that we might have life, eternal life, have it abundantly. But there are false shepherds who say Christ is a dead end, or there's lots of viable routes. If you've been around on recent weeks, in October we had a a focus on the persecuted church. Think of those videos where there are Christian sheep being threatened with violence or economic ruin or family attack unless they walk away from Jesus, unless they deny him. That is a wicked and a terrible thing. And don't think it only happens in other countries. Yes, there's much less kind of violence here, but there is pressure 
There'll be plenty of places this morning around Edinburgh where you could hear a talk dissuading people from trusting in Jesus. Sometimes in churches, sometimes in other religious buildings, sometimes in lecture halls. I'm not saying, and I don't think Jesus is saying, that these leaders are always deliberately trying to kind of kill and destroy. I don't think so. I mean, lots of us will have come across really lovely, friendly, warm-hearted people. Maybe we know people who are wrapped up in teachings like Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons. I'm aware, actually, this week there's quite a lot of um, Mormon evangelists around Edinburgh. And many of them will be following the ideas in the Book of Mormon with real sincerity, thinking that's the way. But Jesus Christ is absolutely clear he is the way the truth the life he is the door and he is God's son and so even inadvertently those who teach against him and his words lead people to destruction it is that serious now I realize that's heavy But actually, before we despair, just look at the end of verse 8. There's there's actually a real encouragement at the end of verse 8. Jesus says, All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. The sheep didn't listen. We're going to keep seeing through the passage that one of the marks of the real shepherd, the good shepherd, is the sheep listen to his voice. They don't listen to thieves and robbers. And again, that's exactly what we saw in chapter 9. The blind man, he didn't know that much about Jesus to start with, but he could tell the difference between a loving voice of truth and the pressure and bullying of religious robbers and thieves. They didn't actually persuade him. Likewise, it's an amazing but a real miracle that there are believers from backgrounds and families and countries where immense pressure is put on to deny Jesus. And yet they stick with him. They recognize his voice. Which gets us to our second point. Jesus, he's not just a door, a door to abundant life. He's the good shepherd whose voice leads us. He's the good shepherd. And I think we do need to spend some time reflecting on just how good Jesus is. Because I wonder if you felt a bit uncomfortable when I was criticizing other religions, other sects, other leaders who deny Jesus. I mean, what gives me the right to judge other people's sincerely held beliefs? The answer, of course, is nothing. I mean, how dare I judge another preacher? How do I know I'm not the thief or the robber? It's a genuinely good question. We'll come back to it at the end. But of course, the message of John's gospel is not that I have the answers or we, the church, have the answers. Not at all. The the message is God himself, God the Son, has stepped into human history, taking on flesh as Jesus Christ to provide light to us and leadership and life. He's come in to show us the truth and expose the lies, including our own lies. So actually for every single person here, whether you call yourself a Christian at the moment or not, the question is this, can Jesus be trusted? Will we trust Jesus 
follow him or someone else. And there's a very good reason to follow Jesus. He is a good shepherd. Good because he cares for the sheep. Good because he cares so much for the sheep that he's willing to sacrifice himself for them. Uniquely amongst leaders, Jesus willingly submitted himself to a substitutionary death. He didn't just put his money where his mouth is. He put his life there. Didn't just risk his life. He gave his life for us. Just see it with me. Verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And look at the way he contrasts it with hired hands. That's the kind of self-serving leadership we see all around us. In it for the money. Verse 12. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. The wolf snatches and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. But then comes the breath of fresh air. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. He really cares for individual people. Verse 3 puts it like this. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Time for a confession as one of your pastors. I'm still working on names. I've been here a year and, what, three months, four months? Still working on names in a group of 300 But you'll be pleased to know your real shepherd, the chief shepherd, the good shepherd, knows every single name. And not just names. Look at him. He knows them the way he knows his father. That is intimate knowledge. Far beyond first name terms. He knows them through and through. Knows everything. Everything about you. And still, willingly, lays down his life for you. And it includes people from all nations. That's what verse 16 is talking about. Even non-Jews, even people like us in Scotland. Verse 16. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice. So there'll be one flock, one shepherd. The good shepherd calls people in from far-flung nations. People he knows by name. Calls them in. And just in case you've missed why he's such a good shepherd, well, verse 17, let's have it one more time. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. I mean, they're just emphatic, aren't they, those verses? Jesus did not die by accident. He wasn't trapped into a corner by surprise. It wasn't a terrible avoidable tragedy, he had the authority to decide when, where, how, why he would die. And he decided to die for us, to pay the price our guilt deserves. That's what we'll remember soon in the Lord's table. Three times we're told the good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. It's categorical. It's the historical proof he really loves us. He's no charlatan, no self-serving robber. He's not trying to squeeze us dry to feather his nest. 
He went to the cross so that the blind man could be forgiven and all of us afterwards. It's funny, we never actually find out the blind man's name, but Jesus knew it. And when the wolves started circling, well, Jesus didn't run away. He went and found him, checked he was okay, guided him, and then faced the wolves head on. I wonder if we realize what, just what an amazing kind of leadership that is. I wonder if we realize how precious it is to, to have someone who knows us totally and loves us so deeply he'd sacrifice himself to keep us safe. I think um, sometimes getting married can kind of wake up a selfish bloke like me to what self-sacrificial service actually looks like. I mean, we're all called to it, but sometimes marriage wakes us up. I remember Jesse and I once had a chat about whether I would literally be willing to sacrifice myself for her. It was a bit of an awkward conversation, actually. Um, You may think this sounds dramatic, but it's real. Um, We were newly married, living in quite a kind of rough part of London, um, and I'm a bit of a worrier. So one day I, I confided in her that I'd been thinking, what would I do if we were attacked on the streets? With someone, by someone with a knife. She quite rightly pointed out that I had actually made promises to lay my life down for her. That's what I was supposed to do, protect her. Um, and husbands, that is what we've promised to do. I hope you know that. In all sorts of areas, the washing up bowl, the bins, family prayer, but it does include the street. And so she asked me, would I do that? To which I replied... I really hope so. (laughs) Needless to say, she was hoping for a bit more than that. I was just trying to be honest. I actually feared, well, I know I'm a bit of a coward, would I run, save my own skin? With the Lord Jesus, there's no doubt about that. No doubt that when the pressure's on, when things are costly, scary, difficult, that he's just going to do a runner leave us defenseless. It's quite the opposite. The good shepherd has already laid down his life for the sheep. And it is really true, we'll never find a leader like that. Even the best husbands, the best church leaders, the best mums, the best dads, the best aunties, uncles, friends, they're just echoes of the good shepherd and his shepherdly care. So he's not just the door to abundant life. He's the good shepherd who laid down his life. And that is a breath of fresh air. It's a breath of fresh air as we look around our world today. It's a a breath of fresh air when you've just come out of John 9. It's actually a breath of fresh air in the whole Bible story. That's why we read Ezekiel 34. We don't have time to go into it in great detail. Ezekiel 34 comes at the end of a long line of kings and priests who have failed to lead God's people well. They've served themselves, they've fed themselves, and the sheep have become prey. And it's wonderful, actually, Ezekiel 34, after that long history of self-serving leadership, God says, I've had enough. I myself will search out the sheep. I'm going to step in and save. It's just a wonderful thing. 
And in John chapter 9, when that man, the blind man, the sheep, had been cast out, Jesus takes it on himself to go and find him. He's a breath of fresh air. So how should we respond? As we begin to draw to a close, I want to address three groups of people here this morning. You'll see them in the box. Firstly, for someone here who's looking in on Christianity, someone not, not yet following Jesus, you're not yet in the fold, well, I wonder this morning if you can hear his voice addressing you. He says, I am the door. It's an open invite. Come and trust in my death. And you will have eternal life, abundant life. I'll be your leader from now on, and you can trust me. I know making that step can feel like a huge thing. I mean, it is a huge thing. Am I really prepared to let someone else be in charge of my life? But there really is no one better, including you, to lead. What's stopping you saying yes to that today, if that's you? Secondly, those of us who are Christians, I hope this reassures us, whether you've become a Christian this summer or been a Christian for years, I hope it reassures us that we've picked the right leader. We're following the right man. I know the Christian life can be painful and costly and scary. Sometimes we don't like where he leads us especially where there's opposition, like chapter 9. But who would you prefer to turn to than Jesus Christ, the one who chose to lay down his life for you specifically, knowing your name, he went to the cross, who knows your worst and loves you anyway? I mean, whose voice would we rather follow? And I say whose voice because all the way through the passage, it's the voice of the shepherd that the sheep hear. Just look again at that verse 3, just quickly. The sheep hear his voice. He leads them out. Verse 4, the sheep follow him for they know his voice. Verse 5, a stranger they won't follow. They don't know the voice of strangers. Jesus' sheep listen to his voice, the words of the Bible, the voice of the risen Lord Jesus in the Scriptures. So will we actually follow what Jesus says to us in his word, even when it's painful or scary, knowing he has our best interests in heart, at heart? Verse 16 says it again, I have sheep that are not of this fold, I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice, so there'll be one flock, one shepherd. What unites a church that's drawn from all sorts of different nations and backgrounds, beliefs, behavior. What can unite a church into one flock? Well, listening to the voice of the one shepherd. That's why denominations that lose confidence in scripture start to fracture. It's why local churches where the sheep or the under-shepherds, people like me, don't listen to the Bible or teach God's word. Or quickly, they'll become chaotic and divided, scattered. As we plant this church, God willing, next year in southwest Edinburgh, the only thing that will keep it together is the voice of the living Lord Jesus, the good shepherd in Scripture. If you don't have that, it becomes loud as sheep winds. 
and pity the weak ones. So finally, a word to those of us here who are leaders of Jesus' sheep. Of course, that means I'm speaking to our elders. We are under-shepherds of this particular local congregation. We bear primary responsibility for the feeding, caring, protection of the flock under Christ. I'm speaking to us, but I'm also speaking to all of us involved in any form of leadership. There's lots of ways we, we share the shepherding work. Small group leaders, children, youth leaders, one-to-one leaders, preachers, parents, husbands. Obviously, it goes without saying we must be Christian. We must have entered the door ourselves. But here's the real question. Do we look like the Lord Jesus in self-sacrifice? And perhaps even more importantly, do we point to the Lord Jesus and his words? You see, we're always going to be a disappointment to some extent, but he is not Every word he says is true. It's good for us. And so as we shepherd people, will we point to his voice? It's why we put preaching at the heart of Sundays. It's why we put Bible study at the heart of our small groups. It's why actually we hand out Bibles, and we're going to need to buy some more. We hand out Bibles so you can look and see, is this the voice of Jesus or just some thief up front? The Lord Jesus is a good shepherd. We can follow what he says. He's a breath of fresh air. Let me lead us in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the love of the Lord Jesus who knows us and laid down his life for the sheep. And we pray, whether it's for the first time or the hundredth time, we pray you'd help us to listen to his voice and follow him. In Jesus' name, amen.